Hello, friends. How are you today? I hope you're having a wonderful day so far. My name is Bailey Sarian, and today is Monday, which means it's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. Shana 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 If you are new here, hi. My leggings are falling down. My name is Bailey Sarian, and on Mondays I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin, and I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I highly suggest you hit that subscribe button. So, warning. The following presentation is intended for mature audiences. It contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. Viewer discretion is advised. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about Rose Larner and what happened to her, and it's wild. It's weird. It's Rose Larner was the second of three children to the Larner family who lived in Lansing, Michigan. When Rose was four, her parents decided it was best to get a divorce and the couple separated, um, so she would spend time in between both families' house. In school, it was said that Rose did pretty well. She got straight A's and did really well when it came to like the grade school spelling bee. In 1993, Rose was 18 years old and a lot of her friends and family would call her a vampire or like as a joke. It was because she would stay up all night talking on the phone um, or she would be out with her friends at night just roaming around the streets. So everyone kind of called her the vampire. Her family would say that Rose was going through her angry teenage years. She was mouthy. She was pretty street smart, but she was very friendly. When she was younger, she was diagnosed as hyperactive. Go, 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 go all the time. And the only time she would slow down was really to sleep. Um, it was said that she would take three showers a day, hog the home phone, catch up with her friends. She sounds like an average teenager besides the three showers thing. I don't know about that. She was very big hearted, a bit of a pain, but craved attention and acceptance as many do in their teenage years. Her mother said in an interview that if Rose were ever kidnapped and being held for ransom, the kidnappers quote, would pay me to take her back, end quote. Rose's former stepmother, she said that quote, <laughs> uh, Rose wasn't every mother's dream, but she was generous. And if you needed anything, she was there. End quote. I mean, like, at least they didn't sugarcoat anything. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I was like, dang, okay. And overall, I mean, based off of what I was reading, I don't know her. She seemed like a really great person just going through like the angry teenage years is what I was kind of understanding. Rose would spend most of her free time on the phone talking with her friends. One of those friends that she was always talking to was a guy named Billy Brown. And they both met when they were in like fifth grade. After school, they would play tag. They would build forts. They would play in the woods around the area and just were always together. By eighth grade, their friendship was pretty firm and you wouldn't find one without the other. Another friend of Rose's was a girl named Bailey. I'm always shocked when I hear about another, like another Bailey who was in a dog. You know, there's a lot of people who name their dogs Bailey for some reason. Anyways, doesn't matter. So Rose and Bailey met in third grade and they were also very close. Hang out all the time after school. They'd walk around town together looking for things to do. Bailey said that they would get into a fight at least once a week. A couple days passed, they would get over it and hang out like nothing. Bailey and Rose also shared the same birthday, August 19th. Anytime Bailey spent the night at Rose's house, they would sneak out, okay? And they would walk around the neighborhood looking for friends to hang 
out with or just something to do. Rose, though, she did have her enemies, okay? Some would say that she had a pretty bad mouth and an even worse attitude. She didn't care what she said um, or who she said it to. When Rose was like left in charge because her parents were out of town, she decided to like throw a little shindig where um, she invited some people to come over to the house and hang out, you know, throw a little party. Parents are gone, let's party. So she had her friends come over, they drank some alcohol. And when some girls who were uninvited showed up, Rose was the one who would stand up and start some shit, you know? When Rose was 15 or 16 years old, her mom actually, I guess she exaggerated her her daughter's attitude a bit. Um, so she could admit her to the Rivendell Psychiatric Hospital in St. John's. Rose's mom, First of all, her name is also Rose, so I'm just gonna call her Rose's mom. Rose's mom was hoping that it would help calm Rose down a bit and like bring some peace to the turbulent household. Because back at home, Rose was fighting with her brothers a lot. She was throwing things at them. She'd be locking them out of the house. It's like 30 degrees outside, you know, and the kids would have to break a window, break into the house. It was just kind of like, there was always chaos and fighting going on. Her mother felt like she just couldn't get through to Rose. So she went to this psychiatric hospital to get some help and her mom was working two jobs. So she just couldn't help her like she needed to. So when they first arrived, Rose was a little upset to say the least, because she didn't know she was going there and she would end up agreeing to stay. So after the three months though, she actually had really grown to like it. She was receiving, ongoing counseling, she made new friends, and just overall, like the individual attention and recognition she was receiving from the doctors and staff. And most of all, like she felt safe there. But once the three months had passed, it was now time for her to go back home. And it was said that she was very upset. She didn't wanna go home. She's like made all these new friends and stuff and she found a little love interest and just didn't wanna leave, but she had to. Soon after leaving, that's when Rose got her first job working at KFC. During this time, her mother said that she noticed a really big difference in her in her attitude and it wasn't good. Her mom personally believed that Rose wanted to be sent back to the psychiatric hospital. Rose, at this time, she was skipping school. She was arrested for shoplifting. She would bring alcohol to school. Things seemed to just be getting worse. One day Rose and Bailey decided to hang out and go down and play basketball. They like to like shoot, what's it called? Shoot hoops. <laughs> but yeah, they decided to hang out and then go play basketball. And that's when like a man came and he hung out near the tennis courts, which wasn't far. And he seemed interested in them and like was watching them. Eventually he approached Rose and Bailey and started chatting with the two of them. Him and Rose seemed to hit it off like right off the bat. And at some point Bailey felt like just out of place. Like Rose was more interested in talking with this guy and wasn't so much into hanging out with her anymore. So Bailey just decided to walk home. Later that night though, Rose ended up at Bailey's house, okay? She knocks on the door, it's kind of late. And Bailey answers his door and she notices that Rose seems to be very shaken up. She's crying, she's just having a hard time like talking. And that's when Rose told Bailey that the guy from the park ended up sadly raping her. Yeah, they went and they called police. The man ended up pleading guilty to a lesser charge and spent only a month in jail. We can end there, that's pretty shitty. She tried to just move forward like it never happened, which is just really sad. And I know some of you are going to be thinking like, oh, well, why did Bailey, 
yeah, Bailey, why did she leave Rose at the park with this guy by herself? You know, they were teenagers. She wasn't thinking. So let me just add that little disclaimer. If you're hanging out with a friend and a stranger approaches you guys, yeah, don't leave your friend. Don't leave your friend. So at 16, Rose ended up dropping out of high school, but she did end up getting her GED when she was 17. So summer rolls around and she was just ready for some freedom again. She just got her GED. She's just ready to have some fun. So Rose's mother decided, okay, let's set a curfew for you. So curfew is 1 a.m. And she also gave her a pager to keep in touch if she needed anything. But this summer, Rose ended up meeting a local rapper named John Cahoe. I think that's how you say it. Rose's older brother remembered that she really liked him and she would talk about him like he was a god. She was like, oh my God, this rapper, he's just like, yay. I do not miss being a teenager. It's easy to fall for these things for some weird reason. And then you get older and you look back and you're like, God, why? Why was I obsessed with this person? She wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. He was a little bit older and Rose really liked John and John seemed to really like her. So they just, you know, began to date. So Rose, her best friend, Billy and John, they would all hang out together and they would mostly hang out at Billy's house. In October, Rose asked her mom if John could move in with them because he needed a place to stay. At first her mom was like, I don't like this idea. Okay, no. But Rose was 18 and she thought she was an adult and she pushed back. And eventually her mom gave in and allowed John to um, move in and stay with them. Her mom actually thought that John was really nice and she didn't mind having him around. That is until she walked into Rose's room and she saw like a bunch of guns laying out and there was wads upon wads of cash. (laughs) Yeah, allegedly, I don't know. Yeah, allegedly John was making all of his money or most of his money as a drug dealer. So as any parent would, she kicked him out of the house. And this was the beginning of the downfall because when John was kicked out of the house, that's when he started to distance himself from Rose um, and their just relationship in general. John was no longer calling Rose up, giving her any time of day and essentially just like ghosted her or was trying to. Rose was deeply upset by this. John was dodging her and she knew it. So John was ignoring her and this seemed to just fuel her fire, okay? The more he ignored her, the more passionate she got at getting his attention. In November, there was like a party going down and it seemed like all the kids from the town were going to it. And Rose knew that John was there. So she showed up. Some kind of argument went down and Rose ended up ramming her van into John's truck. John told Rose, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to kill you. But Rose wanted answers, okay? And she couldn't seem to stop. December 6, 1993, Rose, she worked a night shift at her job and she ended up getting home around 11.30 p.m. Rose went straight to the dining area and she called a friend on her the house phone and her brother who was sleeping on the couch remembers Rose getting into a small argument with whoever she was talking to on the phone. He had no idea what it was about or who she was even talking to. After Rose hung up the phone, she told her brother that she loved him and she headed out. Um, It was like 30 degrees outside, but that didn't stop Rose from walking down the street to the convenience store that her mom worked at. So around um, 1.30 in the morning, Rose shows up at her mom's work. Her mom said that she knew something was off. Like she seemed upset, but it was late and it was cold. So she insisted that Rose take the family van instead of walking around that night. Rose pushed back and insisted like, 
I'm fine. I'm just gonna like hang out with some friends tonight. Don't worry about me. So she told her mom that she loved her and then she left to go hang out with friends. So the next morning at around 8 a.m., Rose's mom, she just had like this weird gut feeling that something wasn't right. Rose was not home and that feeling was really heavy. So she ends up calling up the local police detective. She's telling him that Rose is missing. Her mom didn't have any details to give other than her gut feeling was telling her something was terribly wrong and that mother's just... They just know. So about a day goes by and there's still no Rose. Her mom was driving around the streets where she would hang out normally with her friends, nothing. She called Billy Brown, remember her friend, and she learned that he wasn't home either. So instantly she's thinking, okay, Rose must be with him because like they're always together. So she's probably with him. She told Billy's mom, I believe it was, hey, can you like have him call me once he gets home or ask him like if he's been with Rose at all? And she says, okay, and then that's it. A day goes by. Billy ends up calling up Rose's mom to tell her that he hadn't seen her in a couple of days and that he had no idea where she was. Friends who had normally talked to Rose daily hadn't heard from her since December 7th. And again, Rose was on the phone all the time and in contact with her friends nonstop. So her mother had that feeling that she was gone and would most likely never see her again. Helicopters searched the area, police searched all over on foot, nothing ever seemed to come up. So police asked for help from the community. Like if they have any information, please come forward, send tips, something. So tips started to roll in. Okay. Someone thought to have seen her at a local mall. Someone else heard that she was beaten to death with a baseball bat. Another caller said that Rose was in the river. More tips kept coming and over a hundred of them had mentioned two names, Billy Brown and John Kehoe. Kehoe, Kehoe? I don't know. So those names kept coming up. Nobody seemed to have real proof other than they heard at a party or from a friend that those two were involved. Mm. Hmm. Billy Brown ended up being brought in for questioning. He kept saying that he had nothing to do with it. He didn't know. He didn't know what to tell them because he had no idea where Rose was. Investigators said that they had talked to him enough times to know that they were talking to someone who was involved somehow. I mean, it was obvious to them that he was lying, but he also wasn't cracking. So they had nothing like on him. So the months just keep going by and there were still many searches going on by air, foot, and they were searching all the local water areas that they could as well. And again, nothing was ever turning up. I poked myself in the eye. So then in April, 1996, guess who called up detectives? Well, it was Billy Brown, of course. So he calls up detectives and he's like, hey, can you talk? So Billy said the night that Rose disappeared, that night involved drugs, sex, murder, and body parts inside the home of John, the previous boyfriends, John's grandparents' house. So Billy told them that they drove out to John's brother's house, his name's Tim, and they hung out there to lay low. So Billy, who was now 20, said that he was not the one who killed Rose, John was. So warrants quickly followed, charging Billy and John's brother, Tim, with being accessories to murder, and John being the one who was actually charged with murder. John though, he seemed to get word that a warrant was issued for his arrest and he fled. Police went out to the house that Billy was talking about. It was John's grandparents' house. Inside the bathroom, crime lab experts found a single drop of blood that later through DNA testing would confirm that it was indeed from Rose. Oh yes, baby, oh yes. Three years later, a little speck of blood inside of the bathroom linked, I mean, 
Mm-hmm. So police continued to search for John and his brother, Tim. They were able to determine that they fled to Mexico. So investigators in Mexico located Tim and they did like a little stakeout waiting for him to lead them to John, which he does. And in 1996, Mexican authorities arrested John and Tim and sent them back to Lansing, Michigan. According to Billy Brown, here's what happened exactly that night. Buckle in kitty cats, cause it's horrible. Horrible. On December 7th, 1993, Rose called up Billy and asked him to get a hold of John to see if they could all hang out and smoke some weed, have some sex, and do some average party things, I guess. At some point, John picks up Rose and Billy around 3 a.m. Dr- after driving around for a bit, John pulls over on a dark road. Him and Rose have sex in his truck while she rested her head on Billy's lap. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it's according to Billy, what happened? So once they left there, they stopped at a store that was on the way to John's grandparents' house, okay? So John tells the crew like, hey, I just wanna run inside really quick, grab some things for tonight's festivities. Billy said he later learned that the bag contained a fillet knife, two bottles of charcoal lighter fluid, a hatchet, and some trash bags. I feel like grocery stores, For at least like the checkers, they need to have like a panic button. So when people are buying some really shady looking items, they could push the panic button, red flag it. I don't know what the button would do yet. I haven't thought that far ahead, but I think it would be a great idea. So the three of them drive out to John's grandparents' house. They were away um, at the time. So when they get there, John had busted out his supply of marijuana and cocaine. Billy said that Rose and John had sex again, and then all three of them decided to take a shower together. I think th- I think they were trying to have a threesome or something. I'm not sure. I guess it really doesn't matter because they take a shower together. And then all three got dressed in the bathroom and John stepped out for a second while Rose and Billy brushed their their wet hair from the shower, you know? So John comes back into the bathroom and he's holding a cord. Yes, he's holding a cord and he slips it around Rose's neck. Now, Billy said that Rose started laughing because she thought that John was just like playing around until he pulled the cord tighter. So Rose ends up falling to the ground, gasping for air. And the only time Billy stepped in was to ask John why he was killing her. And John said, quote, that bitch has got to go. And that's what's going to happen. End quote. Minutes later, Rose was dead on the bathroom floor. Once he knew that she was dead, John picked her up and put her in the bathtub where he grabbed his knife and cut her throat. After doing this, John and Billy did some cocaine together and then John returned to the bathroom to do some more business. He grabbed a hatchet and a block of wood and began to cut up Rose. It's like no like nice way to say that, you know? He started with her arms, then cut her feet and hands. And then he came back out of the bathroom with a foot sticking on a knife, holding it up for Billy to see. John then put her body parts into the basement fireplace, burning them until they were just cinders. Afterwards, they cleaned up the house, put the remaining body in a trash can, grabbed some shovels, a trash bag, 10 gallons of gasoline, and left. Billy and John drove about 100 miles to Billy's family property. It was far away and it was pretty secluded and they wanted to burn what was left of her body until there was nothing left. John and Billy dug a hole in the ground and laid a bed of logs in the pit. They unloaded Rose's midsection onto the pit and poured gasoline all over it and lighted a fire. They burned what was left of Rose's body for about 10 hours. Billy said that at one point, John took some of her burned flesh 
from the pit, put it on a piece of bread with some mustard and ate it. He said it was just for the experience. I just feel like when people want to experience something in life, it doesn't involve mustard and flesh. I'm always amazed when I do these stories, you know? You know what I wanna experience? The Grand Canyon, I've never been before. Okay. When the fire was done, the two filled the garbage bags with Rose's ashes, and then they spread them, um, the ashes along the roadside and highways, all the way to Big Rapids, Michigan. This is where John's brother, Tim, lived, and that's where they were heading. When they got there, Tim told the boys not to worry about the gasoline, hatchet, and shovels in the car, and that he would take care of it. So they just kind of like tried to lay low a bit, but they also sat down and decided like, okay, what's our alibi gonna be? You know, if asked by police, and they both or they all came to the decision to say that they were at Tim's place the night Rose vanished. Billy ended up being offered a lesser sentence if he decided to testify against John in court. Several months later during John's trial, Billy did indeed testify against him in exchange for a year in jail for being an accessory after murder, a year in jail. But John ends up taking the stand at his own trial and he was swearing up and down just repeatedly that he did not kill Rose Larner. John claims that he is the innocent one and the only proof they had on him was Billy Brown's testimony, but that Billy was the one who actually killed her. And when he realized that investigators were coming for him, Billy ended up getting to investigators first to set his story straight and blame John. So that was John's defense, that Billy was the one who actually did what he was saying. Does that make sense? In the end, John would end up being sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. One thing that really rubbed everybody the wrong way when they were watching this trial was that when John received his sentencing, he laughed. So it wasn't, it didn't help his case, you know? Earlier this year, 2020, John, who is now 45 years old, he's trying to get a new hearing to discuss his original trial. Due to COVID though, things got put on hold, but John stands by the fact that Billy was the one who did it all, fueled by anger because Rose had rejected Billy for sex several times on the day of her death. John said that he was the one who was nothing more than accessory after the fact in Rose's murder. Billy, on the other hand, Billy, he stands by the truth saying John was the killer and that he helped cover it up so John wouldn't try to kill him next. These arguments are expected to be a part of the new trial if the new trial is even awarded and <laughs> Oddly enough, it's so weird. John has been active on social media. I believe it's his fiance who is in charge of posting for him. Like it's like a podcast and like a blog and Instagram. Yeah, but it's all dedicated to proving his innocence. And you know, I looked through it and whatnot and it's like, I was just kind of waiting for a smoking gun. And they're really, not that I could find one. It was his word against Billy's word and Billy's word against John's word. And then the speck of blood in John's grandparents' house. Like that's really what they have. At first I kind of wanted to believe it because I was like, you know what, that could be a, that could be it because Billy was like the friend, maybe he was jealous. But when John first got word that there was a warrant issued for his arrest, he tried to flee, right? So he went from Chicago to Denver, Denver to El Paso, and then he went to Mexico. And this is according to his own blog. So it's like, sir, if you're innocent, why are you running, okay? He seemed to have a lot of money. If you are innocent, why not just use all that money that you have 
to get a good attorney instead of running. I'm sorry, but running just doesn't help your case. It makes you look guilty. So allegedly he was making just a lot of money with his drug hustle, you know? So it's like, why not use that? I just don't get it. I just don't understand people's actions sometimes. I don't think any of us do. Either way, it's just a really sad, sad story, right? Rest in peace to Rose Lerner. And I hope her family and friends have found or find peace and happiness in life. Let me get on my soapbox really quick. I personally believe that John and Billy should be in prison for life. Because what the fuck, you guys? You didn't just kill her, you cut her up. One of you ate some of it with mustard. And I don't care if one of you didn't actually do it, you still allowed it to happen and didn't go to police until a couple years later. So you both fucked up and you both should have been sent to prison for life or at least for like a long time. What the fuck? I think John probably got jealous that Billy only got a year. That's probably it. He's like, oh, actually that was me. And that my friends is the awful tragic story about Rose Larner. And I would love to hear your thoughts down below. I just feel bad for Rose because when she first got like, when she was raped, when she was at the park playing basketball, that person only got a month in prison. If Billy did do it, then he he only got a year. This John guy is trying to get out too. Like, I feel bad. I. Poor thing. But other than that, I want to say a big thank you to you guys for hanging out with me today. Anyways, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. You make good choices. Let me know who you want me to talk about next week. But other than that, I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye. <laughs>